we're able to create empathy within ourselves by listening to the stories of other people. So you and I could be talking about completely different experiences that we've both had with our dads, with our losses, right? But me sitting and listening to your story, that perspective that you're giving me, that is creating more empathetic capacity within me because I'm now going to think about another situation, another person, how somebody else might feel because I've heard a version of it. At the grief event yesterday, you know, I was looking at the crowd because I was sitting in the back and there was two guys there, including myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, it makes sense. A lot of my audience is 70% women. I think the numbers are give or take, yeah. which again, I think is expected in many ways. And she was telling me about your, a lot of your stuff. You Do you, you hyper-focus on men for certain events or certain discussions or something like that? I don't know what she was meaning by that. We have a men's mental health group, but we That's don't, yeah, we don't necessarily like intentionally actively seek men, like our messages for all people. I suppose a lot of people assume that we are a men focused charity because it was set up by two people who identify as men. Oh, uh, well, I get, I mean, that's a pretty big assumption, I suppose. Yeah. That's not what I assumed when you first told me about it. I knew it was for everyone. I, th I thought perhaps there was a different, there's something on the side in regards to speaking for men. Because I think she made an interesting point about how, you know, I, I figured women are more prone to uh, maybe express themselves more. I don't know if that's mm. the reason why. But I, I've been, my big thing for me is hoping to get men to talk specifically. I mean, everyone to talk. It's all it's all just as important. Mm. But I don't, I don't know. I feel like there's a reason why there's more women listening to this conversation than men. And I was wondering if there's a specific approach to men in regards to getting them to talk. The the most effective way that I found in getting men to speak is is just by being open and vulnerable yourself. Right. Like I've. Like I found from my own experience that just sharing my story and being willing to share it over and over again, being willing to be vulnerable and open and show that it's not a bad thing to speak about how you feel. I found that that's the, the kind of most effective way to engage men. I think that makes sense. Because if, if you're letting your, your guard down, then it lets them make their guard down. It's a pretty simple formula, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that applies to humans in general. But especially men, I don't know, maybe there's a, a, an inherent guard up. Not for everyone, because, I mean, we're talking about this. Mm. But I think, again, seeing two men talk about this is, I think it's important. And I think it could this process of grief or mental health can be applied to everyone. I don't mean to genderize it, but I think there is a difference there. But would you have been able to have this conversation 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Like, would you have been able to sit and actually open up about your mental health and well-being in the way that you are now? Maybe not as confidently, because it took time, but I think so, yeah. I think I was still talking about it, but perhaps not as, uh, yeah, maybe just not as confidently. I think now I'm comfortable doing it. You know, I, there's, there's it's, it's interesting with my mental health and just emotions in general. When it comes to this, this is easy for me. Yeah. And then I feel like I found myself in the past, which is something I'm, I've improved over the years, like intimately. Mm -hmm. I've never been the best at expressing myself in regards to how I feel. I've been a way more reserved there. And it's not, I don't think that's a good thing. It's definitely not a good thing. I should be open and really expressing myself to my partner. And that's something I've been working on. It's just interesting how there is a difference there. And I don't know if that's, I always try to think, is that relating to my experience as to, you know, maybe I'm getting all Freudian on it, but is it like, <laughs> you know, losing my father at a young age and losing someone I love and then a subconscious fear here and there. At the same time, I don't want to lean on that experience. It's just the woes of all my entire life. 
but it's just, I, I always try, I just have noticed that with myself in regards to my communication skills. So you're, I mean, but what you're acknowledging there is your abandonment, right? Mm. Which is a perfectly reasonable thing. You were 12 when your dad died. Mm. So they say. Yeah, so they say. <laughs> <laughs> Rumor has it. I mean, time is a con- is a construct, right? So. Mm. We don't have to go down that road. <laughs> <laughs> you're thinking way too hard on that. Like, don't uh, don't entertain me. I'm I was just, I was willing to. Yeah, I was I willing know, to. That's what I love about you. We just fucking met in person for the first time, and it feels like it's not the first time. He's bleeding on my podcast. If anyone's not watching on YouTube, he's he uh, fell off his bike this morning. It's not funny. No, I mean, well, I mean, like, I'm pretty certain it probably looked quite funny. No, I mean, you're just eating it. I respect that. Yeah, it's just. It's just, yeah, it's just cycling. Yeah, like, this is the, Ben's the first, uh, this is Ben, by the way. Maybe I didn't give a proper introduction. I like the way that the podcast has started, though. Yeah, that's how I usually yeah. do it. Usually my introductions come towards the middle. Mm. I don't know why, because we just start talking. Um, <laughs> so where are you going with my abandonment issues? And Yeah, well, I mean, I wanted to acknowledge the fact that, like, you know, as a 12-year-old boy, you lost your dad. Like, that level of abandonment is going to have an impact then on your interpersonal relationships as you get older. For sure. So it's, there are there are two there are two things I think that are at play. One is the fact that you lost your dad at a young age. You become comfortable about speaking about that, right? Which is how you're able to say, "Yes, I think that I would have been able to speak, maybe not with such confidence, but I would have been able to speak about my mental health because I lost my dad so young and because I've been so open about that from a young age." You know, people around you were acknowledging that immediately, so therefore it was allowing you to be able to speak about it and think about it. Now when you take that into your interpersonal relationships, like you say, with your partners, that doesn't mean that that abandonment isn't still there. So unless you're exploring and learning how to actually be open with a person, how do you expect to be able to communicate with them? Like, they're two completely different things. Yeah, and that, I think I've acknowledged that much. I think there's, you know, there's a similar current there, but they are two different things. It's just explaining why this is so easy for me to do it publicly. And then when it comes to intimacy, and I'm not like a robot and I'm completely inexpressive, but there's, I think, and again, I wonder, you know, it could be just differences in partners, but I should be more expressive in how I feel, especially with my partner. I'm not, again, just like radio silence, but I could be more detailed in thinking about how I feel and just expressing it pretty much like I'm doing now, yeah. talking about this shit. So it's just interesting how it all intertwines and then kind of back to what you're doing with your, you know, your how do you explain it? Is it more of a um, an alternative to standard therapy and just connecting with other people that have similar experiences? That is that the how would you properly say what the new normal is in your charity? So I would call it a peer to peer support charity. Peer to peer. So the new normal was born out of the conversations that myself and my friend Jack were having. So Jack walked into my barber shop one day and he found me on Instagram, had decided that he wanted to come in and get a haircut, traveled across London and he sat down and we started talking and we connected as young people. We connected as young men over football, over music. We were dressed similarly. But then after about 20 minutes, Jack told me that his dad was dead. And this was a serendipitous moment because my dad had just been diagnosed a week before with terminal brain tumor. So for the first time, for him and for me, we were both connecting with somebody that was similar to us, that looked like us, that sounded like us, that had reflections of you know our, our upbringings, our childhoods, and then our current stories. And I think for us, that level of connection is significantly important. You know, I've been to a therapist, I've been to many therapists. Jack at the time was seeing a therapist as well. 
but what he was finding and what I was finding was that, you know, there wasn't the commonality that we wanted. So the new normal was based from that commonality, based from that shared experience, based from that coming together to support one another just through sharing experience. And that's what we do now. So we put people together in a room. That's amazing. And I think it's such a simple thing as to why maybe some people aren't comfortable with, you know, the traditional sense of therapy. Maybe it is that lack of, it can be a good thing or bad thing with the therapy because it may be seeing someone from an outside perspective, I could see how that can be good, but that outside perspective can still come from someone who has a similar experience. But I think that that commonality breeds community and I, and uh, I was at a grief event yesterday with Amber, shout out to the grief gang, and she had a, a big focus on the, the idea of community. So do you feel like that's a big, obviously a big part of what you're doing is the community? So I think that for, for me, um, you know, I think that over the last 40, 50, 60 years, there's been a pushback against the idea of community. If you look at post-Second World War, um, you know, Western civilization in particular, the whole idea was about building community it was about bringing people together to support one another it was about you know creating social housing creating in this country the nhs you know, there was actual support for communities within communities then as politics turned away from kind of like liberal politics more towards conservatism over the last sort of 30 40 50 years whatever we've seen this drive for individualistic nature and the more that technology advances and the more that, that drive for individualistic nature is pushed the less and less community exists. So what we're trying to do is just build those communities again and build that support again. That's amazing. And that's it's, it's also interesting that obviously you see that, that progression of individuality, which, you know, is important in many ways, but even you go back to, I don't like talking about, I love talking about history, but I'm just not the biggest history buff <laughs> in regards to actually spitting facts or fact check or anything, even though this is a basic com comment. Yeah, don't, don't fact check anything I say. Yeah, there's nothing to fact check. There's nothing I say is a fact. But in regard, even just you think about the tribalism from the original civilization has always mm -hmm. been tribal, right? Mm -hmm. And to think that we're, we've slowly but surely weaned away from that, I think the individuality is important in, you know, just being true to yourself. But I feel like in traumatic situations or even good situations, you want to share it with someone that the community is important, whether it's, you know, you're, whether you're grieving or, or, or not or going through something. Mm. I mean, there was a book, uh, I think I brought this up with, called The Outliers with Malcolm Gladwell. You ever heard of it? Uh, I can't say I have, no. Well, long story short, the, the first chapter talks about this Italian family that apparently migrated from the States to some area, and, and uh, they apparently were all living long lives, and they were eating whatever they ate. They weren't on a strict diet. I don't, know, I don't remember what year it was, but they were, you know, weren't eating the healthiest foods. I don't, I don't even know if they were exercising, but they always found that all these people in this community um, were living long lives. There was never an issue. And then the same migrants... Apparently, it's like, I don't know, tens of tens, 20, 30, 40, 50 miles away uh, were dying younger because they were, weren't eating healthy and whatnot. And the data that they were finding out was the fact that the fact that they had a community and they were living amongst each other, taking care of each other's kids and just living in peace was the straight result of living a long life. And even though they weren't having you know, peer-to-peer -peer sessions who know what they were doing, but maybe in some forms they were. Yeah. In a long-winded answer, I'm just saying the importance of community has so many other benefits outside of dealing with trauma and the conversations that you're having. So I, I just love that as a foundational twist of you trying to bring us back to that. Mm.
I think it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, you know, it makes perfect sense, right? If people are around people, if people are supported by people, then they're going to, you know, if, if we think about the collective over the individual, like, you know, we're, we're, we're going to we're going to benefit significantly more if we're coming together in support of one another to progress all of our ideas, our wants, our needs. I agree. And what was the first, do you remember any specific moment where you feel like, because obviously, you know, this is this is what you do. Mm-hmm. So was there a, a breakthrough moment, quote unquote, or any specific person that you've worked with that kind of made you like, okay, this is, this is a, a, a good idea, but mm-hmm. the, I'm really going to run with this now. Like it's kind of like the proof in the pudding. So I think I, I knew, I knew about this. So I knew about this way of working because when I was 26, I had a relationship breakup. Uh, I split up with my partner and when we broke up, she rightly told me that she loved me, but she didn't like me very much. So I had found myself uh, becoming more and more aggressive, like more verbally abusive. I had grown up on football terraces. I had grown up around some really violent men. Um, you know, the the 90s in the UK, there are a lot of deprived areas in the country and a lot of people were still really angry. Um, and I was very much a part of that working class background that violent, angry, working-class background. And so when this relationship broke up and she told me that she didn't like me very much, uh, it really made me reflect on who I was and what I was becoming. And I realized that I was becoming all of the men that I had grown up around. So I found uh, this government-funded anger management course. It wasn't easy to find. There there wasn't a lot of it around. Um, And I called them. They invited me up. I went and met them. They did a little, you know, had a little clipboard and a pen and what have you. And we sat there for a bit and and he asked me a load of questions. And then afterwards he explained to me that men didn't refer themselves, that they were referred by the police or by court order. So I was the first personal referral that had come to them. And they were like, yeah, we we really want to work with you in here. And I went into an 18-month course with them. I did one-to-one and then from one to one, I went into group. And when I went into group, that's where I started to realize just how beneficial it was to sit in front of other people and talk about our experiences. Because here were men that I considered to be violent men. You know, they were there for some pretty violent crimes. And I could sit and talk to them and we could see similarities, commonalities in our stories and I could understand me better by listening to them. So you can understand yourself by listening to them because of your similarities and you're just observing their feelings and just relating it to yourself? Yeah. So if you and I start talking about our dads, right, and we start thinking about the different things that we've both experienced as a consequence of the loss of our dads, there are going to be things that are completely different there are also going to be things that are really, really similar. And so you might start talking about something that really resonates with me. And whilst you're talking about it, you might be talking about a process of how you were dealing with something or what you're experiencing or like the things that you did to make yourself feel X. And I might go, ah, fuck. That makes so much sense. That's the perspective. Exactly. I was just talking about this yesterday because I was talking about I mean, this, these podcasts and how, you know, not every conversation, it's a little different because you're not, my point is you're not always going to find the similarities. In your case, the way you're doing, I think there's a, a focus on finding the similarities, but just 
seeing these perspectives on different people, even if it sometimes doesn't hit eye to eye, I think that's also a good thing because that's going to lead to a different perspective shift, if that makes sense. Well, now you're speaking about creating empathy. Creating empathy. Creating empathy. Mm. So like we're able to create empathy within ourselves by listening to the stories of other people. So you, again, you and I could be talking about completely different experiences that we've both had with our dads, with our losses, right? Could be about anything. But me sitting and listening to your story, that perspective that you're giving me, that is creating more empathetic capacity within me because I'm now going to think about another situation, another person, how somebody else might feel because I've heard a version of it. Right. Am I therefore thinking of someone else's scenario can dilute your own situation? Exactly. So for better or for worse sometimes, I think, depending on how you look at it, right? So I think if we're looking to, you know, so one of the things that we talk about with the charity is that we're not always necessarily just a support charity, but we're also about creating empathy, creating openness, creating vulnerability. And that ultimately leads to a more empathetic society. And what is step one? You say step one, as you mentioned pre-recording, I don't know if you already mentioned it on the recording, but it was you yourself being vulnerable. So does it, it takes one person to kind of ignite the flame, right? Otherwise it goes back to what you were saying, how those men weren't submitting themselves. Mm-hmm. They had to wait for X to happen to get referred to a, to the, hopefully a, a better situation. Yeah. So how do you, what is your, what is your step one? If that's not it in regards to getting men to talk or people, sorry. Well, so, I mean, first and foremost, like you just said, like, uh, telling our stories, right? Telling our stories over and over and over again. It's important for us to keep sharing because if we keep sharing, we show that, you know, vulnerability is a good thing. We show that openness is a good thing. That will then encourage other people to share. Right. Maybe not the first time, but the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, this is, you know, some fantastic business advice. When I was 16 years old, I worked in a nightclub. I was flyering. I was underage, and I, my friend who was a bit flyering? older. Oh, yeah, fly, flyering? Yeah, flyering. Yeah, okay. literally handing out flyers. So my friend who was a bit older was the manager. He was a couple of years older, and he lied and said that I was 18. So he got me this job in this nightclub. And on my first day, the guy who was in charge of making sure that we were all flyering said to me, Ben, he said... The first time you hand somebody a flyer, they throw it on the floor. The second time they see that flyer, they look at it and then they throw it on the floor. The third time, they read it. You have to make sure that people see something three times before they react. I love that. And that, that's, I think that's the, the, the primal message of sales in general. Not that, I mean, these conversations aren't, you're not selling something, but it is that same approach. Of course it, it is. It's the same approach. Yeah. Everything's, everything's sales. Yeah, of course it is. Everything's sales. Yeah. Whether you're selling or not, it's all sales. If you want to encourage somebody to open up, you can't go, here's me opening up, now you do it. You have to keep showing them that it's okay. Yeah, that's important. That's important. And so what has this done for you in regards to, obviously you're doing this for other people and whatnot, but has this journey been healing for you regarding your own loss and your own mental health and are you continually learning even though you're running this thing? I mean, that's a big question. We only ask big questions in Dead Talks, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that's why we're here. My belly's full with the croissant Ben brought me. Well, I got probably blood on the bottom of my foot because our knees are almost touching. Don't, uh, I mean, uh, it would improve those vans. They're a mess. Uh, they are. You know what? These shoes that I'm wearing, quick little sidetrack as we usually do on this podcast, it was hard to keep these clean. Now I'm realizing I think these are shoes that look better dirty. 
Of course they are. Okay. Well, yeah. I agree. Great. Let's carry on. I mean, they're, they're probably shoes that look better, not worn. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. Uh, I respect that. All right, let's get back to your uh, your issues. <laughs> well, we've only got another half an hour, so. Yeah, no, I'm going to be sweat out by then, but it's okay. Apparently, there's no air conditioning in London. Oh, yeah, we're in uh, London, guys. By the way, if you haven't told by his accent, I've come to him. We're in we're in London. Yeah. This is my first recording in Dead Talks history. We tried to, we, we obviously tried when you were supposed to be here last time. And then I was in California, but you were not. Yeah, so here figure. we are now. Yeah, here we are. So we made this happen. This is, this is uh, you know, it's interesting because I was curious. I'm, you know, I think we're veering off of my initial question, which is okay. We'll get back to it. But I was curious as to, you know, obviously there's clearly a community out here in the UK. I was wondering culturally, are people from London more closed off to these conversations? I, don't, I guess when you say more, what are you comparing it to? But uh, is that a cultural thing with uh, London or am I off at that? So so from my experience, um, I mean, we've had people in sessions from I think 24 countries around the world, which is quite a few. I mean, we've I've, I've even been in a session with somebody from the Middle East. That's amazing. Yeah. So your reach, your reach is out there. Oh, yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Incredible. Absolutely is. I, yeah. I knew you were getting global, but I didn't know it was that many countries already. It's pretty wild. I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome. You know, I, I, I was sat in a meeting that was four people in Hong Kong or four people who were, you know, based in Asia, essentially. Um, and on that call, there was like someone from mainland China and people from Hong Kong. And then there was people from other parts of Southeast Asia. And then there was someone from the Middle East, from Libya. And you're like, wild. Me and my mate just started this in North London. What the hell is going on? <laughs> That's, what, what, I mean, sorry, I just I go off the cuff all the time and I want to trickle as we talk. What what is the if you can give it away? What is what are the approaches of your meetings? Like how do they start and where do they end? So uh, they they basically start by so the host. We normally have two hosts in a meeting uh, for safeguard reasons, and what will happen is the host will introduce. So we have a, an introduction that just kind of sets the tone of the meeting, puts out any kind of rules or, or guidelines, so everyone knows what to do, what not to do, how to behave, how to react when they can speak, when they can't speak. So I start my meetings a little bit differently. After I've done the introduction, I then introduce myself. We ask people to introduce their pronouns if they're comfortable to, and also the reason why they're there. We go around the room, everyone will do that. And then actually I ask everyone just to close their eyes and breathe for a minute. I like that silence. And we hold that space and I just ask people to think about why they're there that evening. Like, what's brought them into that room today? After that minute, we then start a conversation and I put it out. So it's, who would like to speak? Is there anything that anyone would like to bring into this room tonight? And it, it, it's just a fluid conversation from that point. So it's it's literally just open format, open discussion, whatever's on your mind. There's no, okay, we're going to do this today. It's just, it could be anything at any point, anytime. Whichever topic someone brings up first. It's kind of like the podcast almost. Like it's kind of, well, I mean, there's like, there, there is an intent there, but it, you kind of, it's a free flowing dialogue. And which I think is, and that's important to do that. Sometimes I feel like that rigidness, you're giving people just, again, you're opening up to people's vulnerability as opposed to kind of titleizing it, if that's even a word. And it, it just, it just allows more of an honest conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Like you don't want that rigidity because you, you know you want the fluidity of a of a conversation. Right? You want something to flow. You want it to move. You want people to be able to jump in when they want to jump in. Yeah, and 
it, it's a it's a really beautiful natural way to hold space for one another. And now you, it's not your 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 discussions are just you overall say talk about mental health. Obviously, you know, you started with grief and you focus on grief, but are those conversations usually different? Like, do you usually hold meetings that are just a general conversation about where you are mentally or or is there a specific focus on grief for specific conversations? So we have our original Good Grief meetings, which were the first meetings that we started, which is essentially a meeting for all to talk about grief bereavement. Then we have It's Complicated, which is a space to speak about complicated relationships, complicated death. Uh, Then we have Black and Brown Good Grief, which is a place for people of colour. Queer Good Grief, which is also obviously a place for the LGBTQ plus community. Then we have partner loss. Uh, we have young carers, student good grief. Then we have a Cantonese speaking meeting for grief, I believe. Damn, mental it, health. And this all started with one conversation. Yeah, it started with one conversation. And now you're just continually going. Yeah, so we also have Boys Talk, Girls Talk, which is spaces to speak primarily about mental health and well-being for people who identify as men and women. And then we also have Grey Matters, which is an over-40s group. Grey Matters seems totally unreasonable the closer I get to 40. <laughs> you have to change that name soon? Right? I think it's probably going to have to change when I get... How do you... What is that name about? So it's essentially, it's it's a space for people over the age of 40 just to to, to speak. But in my head, like, Grey Matters was a really good name because it's... Yeah, yeah it sounds good. Yeah, and I get yeah. it now with the hair and all that. Yeah. And everyone goes great though. We're gonna, yeah, we're, we're gonna start silver linings for over sixties. <laughs> what do you mean about people that are bald? Skin they, matters. They're they're welcome anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. There's no prejudice. Yeah, it, it goes back to the whole, you know, the, that formula of the in regards to the peer to peer of finding those similarities. It's you know you're giving your it's bringing back that tribalism in a good way though. You know that you know that that good comparison in a way because I always say comparison is the thief of joy. But in this case, comparison is you know, like the the leading to joy in many ways. I'm trying to think of something way better than that. For yeah, what I saying. can see that you were I, really I saw, you, I saw you look, I felt your presence of saying, what is he going to say right now? It's not looking good. <laughs> <laughs> there's something there. I'm telling you, there's something there in regards to comparison can be a good thing. Um, and obviously you're doing it. Can I ask you in regards to, you know, since we're talking about grief particular, particularly, do you find any... Um, Anything that's more prominent in regards to people's experience with grief? Like, do you find any one or two things that you find of well, a pattern? Because obviously people grieve differently, so there's differences, but I feel like there is a foundation of similarities with grief or going through anything. So specifically with grief, is there anything that you found to be a pattern but amongst people that have lost someone? There are so many pa- patterns. Yeah. Like, there are so many similarities in everyone's experience. Uh, it's so hard to sit here and kind of say oh yeah this is something that everyone does or this is something that everyone does because not everything will do one thing Mm. but you'll see two or three or four different things always pop up around about the same time as somebody's experience with loss and grief you know I sit in a lot of uh, a lot of meetings where people are coming in for the first time they're speaking for the first time and they've lost people recently you know I'm talking people come and sit in our meetings days, weeks after losing somebody. Wow. And they start to to say, I'm feeling mania. I'm feeling busy. You know, I'm intentionally busy all the time. I'm feeling bereft. I'm feeling, you know, exhausted, but I can't stop. I can't, you know, I have to keep busy. And, and you know, that one is really common. You know, 
people, I'm really, really busy. I'm just distracting myself all the time. I'm trying to focus on other things. And it's a really, like that in particular is a really, really common one. If you think about any relationship that you've ever had in your life, any romantic relationship that you've ever had in your life, when it ends, what do you do? You call your friends, you text your boys, you go out, you know, you go drinking, like you're busy, you're messaging all of these other different people, trying to distract yourself, you know, trying to find connection somewhere else. Because what you don't want to do is focus on and acknowledge the fact that you've just gone through a breakup. You don't want to sit with that because that hurts. So instead what you'll do is you'll do all of these other things. And then, you know, six months, nine months, 12 months, two years, three years down the line, when you're in the next relationship, you start to see the shadows of your past creeping up on you because you haven't ever dealt with it. And it's the same when we're in grief. It's the same when we're in any trauma. We run as far away from it as we possibly can because we don't want to acknowledge it because it will hurt and we know it will hurt. Isn't that the kind of the ironic part? It's like we, we run away from it because you don't want to go through it. You don't want to feel it. But by doing that, you're just... It literally is just, you're building it up and it's getting worse and worse. Uh, Phil Cohen, this guy out of my podcast, he lost his son and had a really good TED talk. He used the example of a beach ball. Like, you know, those little blown up beach balls, mm-hmm. like you push it underwater, but the more you push it down, the further you push it down, it's just eventually it's going to pop up even higher and faster. I thought, I thought that was just a, a simple analogy for that exact situation. And it is ironic that, I, I mean, it makes sense. You want to reprieve from the pain, which, especially in the beginning, um, you know, do what you got to do. But, acknowledging that and it's incredible that you had some people that were getting right into the talking that quickly so in your opinion is you said sitting with it but is is simply merely sitting with it and talking about it is that specifically dealing with it i mean i think so i think you know i'm look i'm a i'm gonna sell you on talking therapies as much as i can right because it's what i believe in you know i think that talking therapies is absolutely the way that the way that we deal with things because we're because we're talking about it, it doesn't make it go away. It doesn't stop it from ever having happened. But acknowledging it and understanding why it might have happened and what it's done to you as a consequence, that means that we're able to start to understand why we react in certain ways, why we behave in certain ways. Once we start to understand why we do those things, and when we start to see the trends in those things, we're able to stop them from happening because we're able to give ourselves the emotional capacity to understand exactly what is going on and how we deal with it. So it's the under... It's- it's the figuring out the understanding as to why you feel it. And once you kind of deduce this to that, to this, and kind of find your way to the source, let's say you get to that source, you get to the reason why you're feeling it. Obviously, when you go through grief, it's like, oh, obviously I feel this way because I lost my dad. But you start unraveling even that question. It's like, oh, it hurts so much because of that. There's more, usually more under that. Yeah. So once you get to the source, do you believe it's usually just an epiphany or even... Obviously, I think there's still work to do once you get to the source. Is that just a perspective shift that gets you over the across the finish line? I think it is a bit of a perspective shift. There'll be an epiphany. Like I believe there's an epiphany. That's and, where I see what happens most. Yeah. People are like, oh, this. Oh fuck, yeah, yeah. this thing. The oh fuck moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some, it happens. Some people a week, five weeks, years down the line. But I think it does. It's just going to depend for everyone. And I don't know, I think you got to give yourself some grace in regards to that process. But, you know, I spoke to someone else recently who was talking about, he he had a different approach because I was bringing up kind of similar what you're talking about. Like, I, I think I, I, a little bit of both, I'll get there, but he's, he's like, it's sometimes not as important to even do the deducing and fig and cr- telling the story as to why you feel that way. Mm. He was more about if you feel it, 
allow yourself to feel that and allow that just, just focus on the emotion and the feeling. Mm-hmm. So this is way more of a, um, uh, a physical or psychosomatic approach of just feeling whatever you feel as opposed to, oh, I feel this, but I'm also at the same time, I feel this because of X, Y, Z. And I was taking the approach of, you know, peeling the layers off. Mm. And but at the same time, he said it's kind of a double-edged sword of telling those stories in your head because then by telling the stories, you're kind of bringing those, you're maybe tweaking the the emotions and putting a title on it, which could be dangerous because maybe it's not the right way. So his approach was feeling it, yeah. feeling the emotion, not even telling these stories or reducing back for back and forth. I don't know which is the right approach. Maybe it's different for everyone. Yeah. I definitely, I try to, I think both in my opinion, feel it, but also try to figure out why, right? Yeah, feel it, but acknowledge why you're feeling that way. Like, right. I think it's important to understand why we are the way we are. You know, a, a perfect example. Um, you know, I have abandonment uh, issues that I've been working up for years and years and years. So if I think about my abandonment and why my abandonment exists, right, I can now recognize when I'm feeling that way and I can attribute it to where it comes from. And because I can attribute it to where it comes from, it means that I can stop myself from feeling certain ways when it's not necessary. Right. I think that's part of under- why you want to understand it. It's, it's, it's almost preparation for moving forward and learning and triggers and yeah. blah, blah, blah. There's a difference between actually actively being abandoned and feeling like I'm being abandoned, right? They are two very, very different things. So I need to understand what those two different things are and when they're both occurring and why I'm reacting or responding a certain way at a certain time. Yeah, even attaching the word abandoned to loss in many ways because in, in both our situations, it wasn't like our dad's just said i'm leaving you like intentionally yeah and my abandonment doesn't come from my dad's death and when it comes from like it comes it actually comes from my mum, who mm. is still very much alive right yeah. okay that's and that's i haven't even tapped into that story yeah if, if you want to share but that abandonment was specifically literally you were abandoned so so other? no <laughs> emotionally abandoned Got so it. so essentially my mum uh has spent her life looking for love because when she was a child at the age of seven her dad sat her and her sisters and her mum down and said he was leaving that he had met somebody else and that she was pregnant and having a child so my mum was abandoned by her dad her dad my granddad was abandoned by his parents he was given up by his parents to go and live with his grandmother even though his brother and sister remained with his parents just down the road, but they were allowed to stay in the house and he had to go and live somewhere else. So he was raised by his grandmother away from his brother and sister and his mum and dad. Then he spent his entire life looking to be loved by someone. And now my mum has spent her entire life doing the same thing. So that abandonment then comes to me and my sister. The generational. Yeah. So we spent our childhood with our mum, who was married to our dad, then left, then went back, then left again. You know, we were living out our mum's abandonment as she was trying to search for the person to make her feel happy. Instead of understanding why she was feeling like that, she was then passing that generational trauma onto us, which meant that throughout my young adulthood, all of my relationships played out exactly the same way until, you know, I was in my 
mid to late 20s and started to work out what was going on, why it was happening, and then understanding how to stop that. Oh, man. <clears throat> I'm happy you figured that out. It's just wild how contagious it is. Right. It's like sub- it's just subconsciously, however you want to say, habitually contagious, how that just continues on yeah. until you... Until you break the cycle, yeah. Literally got to break the cycle. I mean, not so, it's, it's, and that's a whole other different conversation about the generational aspect because that's interesting. You're not just breaking the cycle for your own self. You know, if you uh, spread that little seed of yours. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm happy you cut me off there. I wasn't really looking forward to talking about your seed. Um, we can talk about my cats, yeah, but. I don't even want to talk about that either. I'm allergic to cats. But they're all, they've all got the same name as you. All of them? All three of them, yeah. They're all Dave's? So we've got Dave. And then there's Davith, which is David in Welsh. Okay. And then there's Dewey, which is Dave in Welsh. <laughs> That's amazing. You cats, three versions of Dave. It was complete coincidence. Clearly. Dave was my cat, and Davith and Dewey were my partner's cats. And then we met, and she was like, oh, I've got two cats. And I was like, yeah, I've got one cat. Mine's called Dave. And she was like, oh my God, mine are called Dave and David. <laughs> That's amazing. And I that, mean, I, I support that as a David, as a human David. Yeah, I thought you might. Yeah, no, thanks. I think that's why you shared it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, now they live unhappily together. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think that's when you put too, too many Davids in a room. It doesn't always end up well, folks. Um, outside of your Davith and Dewey was one of them? Davith and Dewey. Dowie. Yeah, Dowie. Yeah. Dowie, that doesn't... Okay. Anyway. Um, <laughs> ben, this is... Uh, I, I do want to ask you before we, before I close out on you how, how are you, how are you doing today? How are you doing today? Well, apart from the blood that's dripping out of my leg and yeah. my hip and my elbow. <laughs> yeah, besides your physical condition, which doesn't look lovely right now, uh, how's your mental health? Do you know what? Actually, it's a really good question. So... We're so at the charity at the moment, we have just gone into a critical uh, fundraising uh, moment because we, so as a charity, the, the spaces that we provide when we first started, they were completely free. And they still are, in fact, they still are completely free. But when we started, they didn't cost us anything. Over the years, they've started to cost us money to deliver those spaces and to keep them as free. It means that we take on a cost. So, Last year, we had a, a pretty decent year fundraising. This year, sadly, for whatever reason, it just hasn't been the same. I imagine the cost of living crisis has had a significant impact. I mean, giving in this country is down 33%, I think. So that's a significant impact. And and you see it in the smaller charities and organizations like ours. And it's it's been quite stressful. So actually, my mental health at the moment, whilst we're in this crisis, has just been really impacted. Um, I... And I still have to hold space for people. I still have to train people to hold space as well. You know, now we teach people to hold space so they can run their own sessions, they can run their own groups. I'm still having to do my job and also still I cut hair two days a week. You know, I still do my barbering to sort of support my income. So I've got all of this going on. You know, so at the moment, actually, I'm I'm in a I'm I'm in a difficult moment. I mean I'm generally my mental health is pretty good most of the time like I talk a lot I'm in a lot of space a lot of the time where I'm able to talk I see a therapist I have groups I I have good relationships around me where I can actually communicate what's going on but that still doesn't mean that it makes it easy right no 
it doesn't make it easy at all, especially I, I can't, I don't, I don't know what the approach is when you are that figure of, you know, helping other people. I feel like those positions often get neglected for your own feelings or whatnot. You know what I mean? So it's a, that's a, it's a balancing act of holding that space for other people while not shedding your, your shit on that space. Yeah. But also you still got to look out for number one before yourself. Besides the fact that it is just for yourself, I think in order to hold those spaces, you know, it makes it a little harder when if you're not in the right the right spot. But it seems like this is hopefully a potentially a transient space until you hopefully get you know get some of the stress off your shoulders, right? Yeah, I feel I feel it is. Like I feel it is. Like I generally, I mean, normally I'd ride my bike and I'd feel better. But yeah, this morning might be a good just, idea anymore. Yeah, I'm gonna have to take maybe a day off. Um, like, and also as well, my bike's a bit broken, so I need to go and get that fixed. Oh, is it? Is, I mean, your knee looks broken, so I would be surprised if the bike wasn't. Just a, only a tiny bit, actually. It's only like one tiny part that needs replacing, so. That's kind of, and maybe that's where your, your, your head is right now. I think maybe it's just one tiny part. Do you know what? I haven't had, I think I've had two days off work this year. Two? And yeah, we're like, that's even less than what you get in the US, right? Yeah, I was going to say, I thought you guys take more siestas. Uh, we don't. I don't take siestas at Spain. I know, but I'm bringing it here. Yeah, you're still a, a little bit of a way off. Are you going to Spain? No, I thought you could, I thought you could use that word siesta more flexible, like in a flexible way, like you know, like a your 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 holiday. I mean, we take more holiday, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't. Well, no, I don't. <laughs> but then that comes from. I mean that that comes from being self-employed for so many years. I don't know how to take time off. Because you know, you take time off, you lose money. That's how it works. This is helpful, of course. Person, that's, the, right? that's the risk and re- there's risk and reward there. So is that is that what you need? You need some, you need a little bit of a reprieve. Yeah, I'm I'm off to Corfu in just over a week. I know because yeah. you're you're taking some time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think especially with your doing, you know, you're he- heavy lies the burden of, you know, taking a position of hope, of helping people, mm. and uh, you gotta look, you gotta look out for yourself. You know, that's where it's like the commu- that community individuality aspect kind of i mean not conflicts but you know when you're doing something to help other people you 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 really i think almost even more you really got to look out for yourself to even deliver for everyone else more so i think you know you are right in the in the it's not necessarily a conflict uh the community individual but what it is is sometimes we do just need our space yes so even in community we still need our space and for me at the moment my space is well, my space ended years ago. I don't think anyone's using it, are they? Your space? My space. Oh. <laughs> I'm so upset that it took me more than two seconds to figure that out. Oh, I'm embarrassed. Uh, nice. No, that's great. <laughs> Shout out, Tom. Thank you, Tom, for creating the space for everyone else. Uh, that guy's alive and well, apparently. I mean, that's great. Yeah. Uh, but he's just like, he did it right. He sold my space and just... Someone his... bought my space. I'm pretty sure. I remember, I don't Even think I after Facebook came out. Well, he might have, I think he sold it before it was, okay, I'm pretty yeah. sure it still exists. I had a MySpace for about two months and I don't think I got it because I had a Michael Bolton song as the song that you have. Oh, you the cover of the profile? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. And I don't think the people really got the irony. The irony of Michael, what song was it? Uh, Does the song matter? How am I supposed to live without but what, you? What, great song, but what is the irony? What am I missing? We, okay, no, you think... <laughs> Did I miss something here? Is it, did, it, did it fly right over my hat, my hat right now? Mm. Should we explain? We talk about that later. About the irony. The irony. Yeah. Look, you know, we can talk about that on or off air. I don't mind. We'll go off air on that one, ladies and yeah. gentlemen. But Ben, let me ask you: what, what can um for anyone that's you know that 
Dead Talk community and whatnot, tell me how they could find you. Obviously, how can they, how can we help what you're doing and, you know, help further your mission? So uh, you can find us on Instagram, uh, TNN Charities. We launched in North America uh, back in July. So we have virtual meetings for North Americans. Uh, they're run every other week. They're grief meetings and also mental health meetings. We are going to be launching in-person meetings in California, in Venice, in about a month and a half's time as well. We'll also be looking at Ojai mm. and the Bay Area. So we'll be across California pretty soon, which is very exciting. You'll be able to go. I'm so excited! Yeah. No, for real. That's, that's your, your, the reach is incredible, and the fact that you've made it across the across the pond, if you will. Yeah, it is a pond. That yeah. is a it's a big pond, but that's it's amazing. I mean, you mentioned you're, you're very crossing 24 countries and whatnot, but you're the fact that you're at the state in the states now, which I think across the world needs it, obviously. But um, you know, I think the, this this conversation, these resources, even I'm seeing, and you know, back home, that is definitely needed. Well, I mean, so it's amazing that you're doing this. We do. It's free healthcare. Yeah. Like that doesn't exist in North America. No, that's what I'm saying. The states is beyond all, all across the the world. Like, yeah, it's, it's a free health, mental health, whatever heck it is. It's a uh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal, and that's why I think you need support with other people in order to keep this going. Mm -hmm. you know I mean? Yeah. So we need, you know, I mean, we're always looking for volunteers, people to host meetings, people to get involved, to help run social media, to help run our operations. You know, we're we're a, a team of around about 110 globally, with just two employed people, two employed staff. So most people are well everyone bar two are volunteers which is quite incredible to be honest with you yeah it's a lot i didn't know there's that many people yes many and again i think that, that blends together about the global reach and the amount of people that are helping it's like there's a little bit of a i think there's even beyond what you're doing there's there's a little bit of a movement happening there's i think there's an undercurrent of i don't know maybe a shift and maybe it goes back to that individualistic community aspect you were discussing but i think there's a little collective shift happening People I, want to find a place where they belong. Yes. And that's that's always been there in many ways, even with that individualistic approach. Because like even in this day, like being individualistic is almost a, a group in itself, mm -hmm. as weird as, as, mm -hmm. as contradicting as it is. Um, but Ben, I thank you for, for, I'm happy we finally made this happen. I commend you on what you're doing. Just take some time for yourself to hopefully, you know, for you to get right, if you will. Yeah. I mean, you seem right. I, I, had, a, I, had, a, I just had a blast, but... You know, I, you got, you got to, you know, more than anyone, you got to, you got to figure that out. You got to work that out, whatever that may be. And hopefully some support for your charity helps a little bit. Take some time off, breathe, take some time for yourself, brother. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you very course, much. Man. This has been a real pleasure. Thank this you. Fantastic. I'm sweating my ass off, but uh, all right. First podcast, Dead Talks in London, in the books. I want to do this again. I'm going to go outside because like I said, I'm sweating and I need to go eat some uh, London food that I've heard is okay. Uh, I mean... Your like what? One of the things I learned about coming to California was how good the food is in California. Yeah, it gets, especially LA in general. I mean, yeah. across across there's actually restaurants all across the state, obviously. But I mean, LA is I think is great food. It, it's great food as a as a non meat or dairy or fish eating person. I don't want to say vegan wow. um, because I don't. I because I still occasionally eat eggs. Oh, so it'd be a misrepresentation of of me. Okay, you're technically I'm an ovo vegetarian. Oh God. Okay, yeah, no, yeah exactly. So, but that's, what you but that's why I don't say it. Fair. <laughs> you just said it now. You might, I get it. I appreciate that. Okay. Uh, 
Oh, I feel, you know, I feel like you're judging me, but whatever. But... <laughs> you know what? I'm not even going to pretend I'm not. I am. <laughs> <laughs> but what I found really, really amazing about, about, uh, about LA, about Venice, was just you'd walk in somewhere, you'd sit down, you'd look at the menu, you'd ask what's vegan, and they'd just say all of it. And you're like, wow, this place is magical. Yeah, I don't go in those places very often. Even though I found some good vegan places, there's a good place on Pico called the... Uh, was it the Green Table? Green Table Cafe? That place fire. Cafe Gratitude. I know of it. I haven't been there. You should go. Should I? Yeah, it's really good. All right, maybe I will. Yeah, the food, I, I, the food was really good there. I mean, the menu's ridiculous, but the food is really good. Yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't been there. Yeah. I'll, I'll go. Yeah, check it out. All right, well, there we go. Cafe Gratitude. Uh, thank you guys for tuning into another episode of Dead Talks, uh, The New Normal. Ben, David, we out. Thank you so much. <laughs>